Let's open our Bible to the book of Psalms, to the 119th Psalm. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And, uh, of course, just, uh, just like we do every week, just a little bit of review, just to catch us up where, we, where we've been um, and to help us to remember some of these facts about the psalm, Psalm 119. Uh, can anybody tell me how many, without looking, how many verses there are in Psalm 119? Yes, sir. He, he feigns not knowing. Uh, correct, 176 verses. Someone else tell me, into how many divisions are those 176 verses? 28. Close, but not correct. 22, which means, for those of you that are good at math in your head, that means each set has how many verses? Eight verses. And the 22 sections are, are what is unique about the 22 sections? The Hebrew alphabet. What about it? Hebrew? Exactly. Those sections are headed by uh, one section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then every verse in each section is, uh, is an acrostic. It begins with the Hebrew alphabet, that letter of the Hebrew alphabet for that section. Okay. Here's some more, a little bit more trivia. Uh, into uh, most of the verses in the psalm can be divided into one of three categories. All right, I'll give you the first one. One of three, one of three categories. Prayer, number two. Huh? I couldn't hear you, I'm sorry. Praise, and what's the third one we talked about? Prayer, praise, and exhortation. Correct, correct. All right. How about this one? Name some of the things that are not mentioned in, in Psalm 119. Now, this is going to be an easy one because, like, anyway. Yes, ma'am. Correct. No major people, places, themes really are mentioned in, the, in Psalm 119. I, I just thought that was a fantastic uh, fact, and I think it, what, what the Lord wants us to do is He wants us to focus on just one thing. You know, He doesn't want us to walk and chew gum at the same time. He wants us just to sit down and chew gum, right, Pastor Stewart? <laughs> he really doesn't like gum for some reason, so sometimes I'll come into church and just chew gum. And uh, he said he would outlaw gum if it would, he had the choice. He would outlaw it. They did in Singapore, so... All right, so uh, just one other thing as we get into this. I want to read a couple of quotes. Um, I'll, read it after, I'll read the quotes after we read this. Um, I mentioned last time that, that context, uh, and just in case you, you're just catching up, what is context? Context is essentially the text of Scripture. So if you're, if you're looking at verse 5, for instance, context is what verses 1 through 4 and eight and follow, or uh, six and following, w the information contained in those that uh, that, uh, that those verses that surround the verse you're you're uh, you're looking at. Now, <clears throat> it is a very very 
dangerous thing to do, uh, to take one verse and make it stand alone. The Bible is not written like that. You think about the Psalms, you think about the epistles, you think about what, what you have in uh, the Gospels and in the historical books, you, are, you, you play a dangerous game and, and it often leads directly into false doctrine like that by cherry-picking one verse and ignoring everything else around it because it sounds cutesy and it fits whatever doctrinal persuasion that you have. One of the books that's most abused in that way is the book of Ecclesiastes, right? The book of Ecclesiastes is, and, and uh, Proverbs is also one, but Proverbs is a little bit different. The book of Ecclesiastes is constantly abused by cults because of some of the things it says, because they intentionally ignore the context. Now, I know context in our day and age, context is, is used to justify anything and everything. Well, we have to listen to that in context, which we're going to completely overturn what it says by the context. I don't know, I've, I've read that in the news here a lot lately for some reason. But context is so important when you look at the Bible. You cannot make things stand alone. However, what we notice in Psalm 119 is there is less of a need of the context because Psalm 119 is kind of an, an assembly of verses that mainly stand alone. Something like similar to Proverbs, but it deals with exclusively with God's Word. And there are a few portions of three of our verses that have context that you have to pay attention to. But, uh, but many of the verses are just, they're designed, they're, I say designed, but they're, they're ideal for memorizing, uh, memorizing the, 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 uh, the verse. So the way, that, the way it's set up is ideal for that purpose. Now let's pray, and then I want to read a couple of quotes I read from the Treasury of David, and then we'll move on with our study, okay? Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you so much for everyone that's here, everyone that's listening, and those that are ill but can't be here. Thank you for their attention as well. Uh, Lord, I thank you for our church, and I thank you for what you are doing in the lives of each and every individual here, and but not only here, in the other classes as well. Thank you for your work of grace. Lord, if it was not for you working in our lives, Lord, we would be a, a complete wreck. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient and, and gracious with us. Thank you for uh, what you teach us in your word. I pray that you would give each, each and every one of us just perfect clarity of thought and, uh, and the right disposition of heart to receive what your word says uh, this morning. You said in the in 119th Psalm, uh, you said that uh, you, the, the psalmist prayed that you would open his eyes that he may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And that's what we ask right now, that you would open our eyes, that we could know and understand and see the things that are, are already there. Give us eyes to see, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read a couple of quotes to you uh, that I came across in, uh, in looking at some uh, commentaries on this. These are both from the Treasure of David. Treasure of David is... I mean, you, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's kind of the definitive work on the book of Psalms. That is, it's the most well-known. It was written by Charles Spurgeon, and it's probably the pinnacle of his writing, uh, writing library. Is that what you call it? Uh, it's the pinnacle of his writing. He's most, most well-known for the treasury of David. Um, basically, it's a commentary on the book of Psalms, but each 
each uh, part of the Psalms in the treasure of David, each section that he covers, he gives, uh, he gives a, a list of really, uh, really good and thoughtful quotes from other writers that he kind of has compiled together in his study. And, it, and there's some really good stuff in there. So I want to share that with you. Not everything, because some of them are quite verbose, but, um, but, but th- these are some good things. On the subject of the psalm being uh, less about context and more about each verse kind of standing alone, here's what, he, here's what one writer says. He says, but like Solomon's Proverbs, the, the Psalm 119 is a chest of gold rings, not a chain of gold links. You see that? So you can just pop one out and you can put that on. You can use it throughout the day without dragging out everything you got to drag out to see the whole chain like you would like in the, in, uh, the epistles. You know what? I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't have just one genre in the Bible. There are different... Some people are drawn to the Psalms. Some people are drawn to the epistles. I know people that are more uh, nerdy and bookish like the epistles a lot. But people that are more, uh, more in touch maybe with their emotional side and, and, and uh, they, they, their heart is in the matter, they, they're drawn to the Psalms. And those that are drawn to wisdom are drawn to things like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And the Lord has different kinds for different, different personalities and such. This quote deals with um, something we'll talk about today. I'll, I'll get more into this in a minute. It says, This poem, or rather collection of poems, is designed for private devotion alone. And we have here no distinct reference to any historical or national event, to any public festival or any place of congregational worship, though a few general hints are occasionally scattered upon one or two of these points. We have nothing of David or Solomon, of Moses or Aaron or of Egypt or the journey through the wilderness, nothing of Jerusalem or Mount Zion or Ephratah, of the temple or the altar, of the priests or the people. Again, it's almost like the Lord takes out all these other things that might, that, that are, of course, perfectly relevant and important scriptural doctrines and places and people, but he takes all that out because he's trying to get our heart and our mind focused on our personal, individual, private connection with his word, his word. All those other things that aren't in Psalm 119 are in all the other parts of scripture, which is what the psalm is about, right? It's about the scripture as a whole, the written word of God. So I thought those were a couple of good quotes, but I do want to return and um, reiterate something uh, that I covered. I had to cover a little bit in a little bit hasty, hastily last time, um, and I want to kind of circle back around and, and reemphasize this because I think it's an important point, and it is really the foundation of our study. And it's something that I hope and pray that has an effect upon myself and also upon each one of you as you look at Psalm 119. Okay? Remember we we talked about Psalm 119? Anytime that the writer is mentioned, with one exception, it is always in the first person. First person, singular. That is, I, me, and my. There's only one exception in which we and our 
or hours is found in the psalm, Psalm 119. And that's in verse 4. That is the single occurrence of any uh, first-person plural pronoun in the psalm. Now, that's significant because most of the time, I'll take the Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's actually the model prayer. But we'll take the model prayer for an, as an example. What is the first words of the model prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Forgive us our debts as we, we forgive. That's plural. And you know what? Many, many things, <clears throat> many, many things in our Christian life, God wants us to experience them with other people, right? That's why he had the congregation of Israel, the children of Israel together. Their worship was there three times a year, right? Three times a year. They were told to what? Assemble in Jerusalem. He wanted them together. He wanted their worship to be together. He wanted their praise to be together, right? And in the, in the New Testament era, we don't, we're not Israel, but we're the church. But the church is, the very definition of the word church is an assembly, right? The Lord wants His people together. He wants us to worship together. He wants us to fellowship like we are today together. He wants us to learn His Word together, hear His Word together, to praise His Word together. He wants us to get along together. Right? So much of our worship, our praise, our interaction with spiritual things is done together. And that's a good thing. Certainly not, not throwing stones. That's, a, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. However, Psalm 119 tells us the other side of that. This is the psalmist's private devotion to God. The psalmist's private relationship to God as seen in his connection with God's Word. This is so important. First thing I want you to see, as just as a, as a, a, again, a reiteration, is that what you see in Psalm 119 is an individual's private, personal, and individual connection with God's Word. That's what you have here. An individual's private, personal connection with God's Word. Now, first thing we need to understand is, as we covered before, the only way that we know God is through His Word. Now, there is general revelation in which God reveals him, you know, aspects or attributes that He has to all people. But as, but as far as the Scripture is concerned, the Scripture is the way we know God. There is no way outside of that to know God. God has revealed Himself in only one way, and that is through the Scripture, the Bible, okay? So if we are going to know Him, we are going to know Him by means of the Bible, okay? Now, why is this important? So much of our, and I want to I be careful here, but I, wanna, I want to nail something that I think is very important. So much of our church life, there are many people whose relationship with spiritual things, it, the sum total of that relationship is their church life. In other words, the totality of their faith, the totality of their interaction with spiritual things is when they come to church on Sunday. 
They sit in the pew and they listen to the preacher. They sing the songs with other people and then they leave. And that is the totality of their interaction with God's Word. Now think about that. The only connection they have with God's Word is what they hear publicly. I want to tell you something. This is not the kind of relationship with God's Word that the psalmist had. Because he's not talking about public reading of God's Word. He's talking about his his private and individual connection with God's Word. How it affects him individually. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. The word us is the power. Mm-hmm. That means they were added, that was added by the English translators, mm-hmm. not found in the text. It was added, the italicized words were added by the English translators to clarify the grammar and to, and to, and to complete the sentence as it must be completed in English. So that's a valid point. What I want you to see is that This psalm demonstrates the individual's relationship to God through His Word. It shows the responsibility and the joy of the individual seeking and knowing God's Word and how it affects him as an individual. So Psalm 119 is not about corporate devotion to God. It's not about coming to church. It's not about listening to the preaching together with other people. Psalm 119 is about you being attentive to God's Word privately. Man. I'm guessing that probably 90% of people that call themselves Christians in our country have no relationship to God and His Word privately, even if they go to church. And even if they do, it's a very, very superficial kind of cherry-picking Self-help verse. There's, there's very little depth. There's very little understanding, as we'll see in a little bit. Now hear me, please. It is not enough that we hear, hear the Word of God read and taught publicly in the church. It is not enough that we hear the Word of God read and taught publicly in the church. We must have a private relationship with God's Word. And this is exactly what Psalm 119 is about, a private relationship with God and His Word. We must read and study the Bible personally, privately, and individually. Now, the second thing I want you to see goes on the heels of that, okay? When you have a private Individual connection with God's Word. That is, you give attention to it outside of church, outside of the public event, the public gathering of our church. It will affect your life. Psalm 119 is a list of verses where an individual psalmist, an individual, gives praise, offers prayers, and gives exhortation to others by means of his own interaction with God's Word. In other words, as through his own personal interaction with God's Word and how it has affected him, he exhorts us. 
He gives prayer to God. He praises God. Thy word, for instance, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's not talking about Brother Pete, Pastor Stewart, the David. He's talking about me. God's word guides me. And that is an exhortation to us. But that comes from a private devotion with God's word, with God through his word. This is the impact of an individual through God's word. Let's look at a few, a few passages. Look at, uh, we're going to jump around in the New Testament now. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not doing a very good job, admittedly, but here's what I'm trying to say to you. You and I, you and I should be reading the Bible regularly. I know that's simple. I know that's basic. You and I should be reading the Bible individually, personally, privately. All right? Furthermore, you and I should not just be reading the Bible to check our list. Lists are fine, but it shouldn't be simply that. You and I should be reading the Bible with attention, with carefulness, with, atten- with, with careful attention to the fact that this is God's Word, with an open mind and heart, with the right disposition toward God. You and I must have this kind of connection with God through His Word. Because when, when you and I have that, that devotion, when we, if you could say, interact with God's Word in this way, like the psalmist is talking about, not publicly, privately, that Word will affect us. It will affect our life. It will change the choices we make. It will affect how great our faith is. It will affect It'll affect our emotional state, right? It will affect, it will affect the, it will affect the future of our life. It will affect the way we understand the past. It'll affect the way we see the world. It'll affect our heart, our mind. God's word will have an impact on us. Now listen, if you have no private, personal inner, inner, intercourse with God's Word, you will lack that effect in your life. And I'll, I'll prove it to you in just a minute. You cannot, you and I cannot neglect the private devotion, the private reading and meditation of God's Word and it not affect us. It will affect us and we will be hampered and hindered and handicapped in our spiritual life through that, through neglect. We will walk ignorantly of God's character and God's will and the things that God wants us to do. Let me, let me give you an example before we read this verse. If you don't have a private, uh, private connection with God's Word, 
you will begin to misunderstand and start uh, the way God is, God's character, His attributes. And when you, because there are many things floating around where people describe God as this or describe God as that. God is a God of grace. God is a God of love. God is a God of anger. God is a God of war. God, people describe God in all kinds of ways. You know what the only way that you can know how God is, considering you can't see Him, is in, in the Bible. But if you're ignorant of that, then every whim of doctrine about the Lord will come across, come across our path. And sometimes we'll get latched on to that. And it, won't be the, and it won't be the scriptural God. It'll be kind of a variation. And you know what? That, that fact will begin to affect your life. For instance, people that view God as a, as a, um, as a, a very harsh figure, like that they, they look at a lot of the Old Testament passages, maybe the imprecatory Psalms and things like that. People that view God primarily as a harsh figure and don't emphasize His grace and kindness and mercy often tend, it, it, it's reflected in the way they deal with other people and the way they think about the world. On the other hand, people that only think of God as a God of grace and love and that's it, period. Well, then that affects the way that they view things like sin. But you know what you have in the Bible? God tells you all of it. And He tells you this part in the right measure in comparison with this part. And what it does is it balances your understanding of who the Lord is. All right? That doesn't come from the preacher. That comes from your private reading of God's Word. Because He does it little by little, here a little, there a little. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, verse 14. To Timothy, here's what it says. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now pause. Thou. You see that word thou over and over? Thou. 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 Paul writing to Timothy. Thou is... Singular or plural? Thou is singular. Notice what it says about Timothy. Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now, let me make a point about verse 14. I do not want to skip this because this is so important. Verse 14 says, But continue thou in the things which hast thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Parents, please listen to me. Grandparents, please listen. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You see, Timothy was taught, but in addition to what he was taught, the truth he was taught, he had people that he could look to that were examples, that were upright, that were trustworthy. And he says, while you're remembering the Word of God that you've been taught, remember who gave it to you. Remember the, their faith their faithfulness. Remember their upright life. You, we should never make light of the impact that we as parents or grandparents have upon our children. It is, it is of extreme importance that we not only teach our kids and our grandchildren and those over whom we have influence, 
We teach them what God's Word says, but they are looking at us as the source of that information. They are examining us. Do we match that? And that will often be the determining factor as to whether they receive what we say or reject what we say. They are looking at the source. Such an important fact. You know what? And if you or I find ourselves on the wrong side of that truth, you can make corrections, right? You can make corrections. You can say, up to this point, I have not been the person I should have been. I'm the one that taught them. I'm the one that gave them the word of God, but I was not consistent and I was not right. I was a hypocrite to those that I taught. But I'm going to make a change right now. And I'm going to go back to those people and, I was, and I'm going to tell them, I was, I, I, I was not a good example to you. What I told you was right, but you, you should have had an example to go with that. And you could start now. That is, it's of extreme importance. Not only that we teach them the right things, but the people who teach them are also right and holy and honest and moral and have the right attitude. Verse 15, and from, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now we're talking about how the Word of God in Psalm 119, how the Word of God affects the life. Which, he's talking about the Scriptures, are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the written Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All of those things come directly from the, the knowledge of the written Word of God. The written Word of God and you and I knowing it will, will give us the, the, the doctrine, the teaching that is right and accurate and true. It will reprove us when we're wrong. It'll correct us to show us the right way. And it'll instruct us as to how to stay on that way. That comes from our private reading and attention to God's Word. That's the effect of God's Word on Timothy that Paul is pointing out. It'll make us perfect, truly furnished into all good works. It'll complete us. It'll... it'll It'll knock off all the rough edges and make us just exactly what God wants us to be. We're not talking about anything but the private understanding of God's Word. All right? Look at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this, <clears throat> Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, there it is, now look at the effect, that ye may grow thereby. Now I'm going to say something. If you are not reading God's word, with attention, with carefulness, you are not going to grow as a Christian. 
because it is by God's word and our attention to it privately that we grow. That's what it says. That ye may grow. Now look at 2 Peter. Keep that word grow in your mind. Look at the last verse of 2 Peter. While we're here, The last verse of 2 Peter. It says this, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I'll be honest. When I've read this verse in the past, I thought it was interesting that God commanded us to grow. Right? David, grow. <laughs> grow, Robert. It's, it's, it's not something you can really, it's not something you normally think of that is something you can control or obey, right? Ms. Barnett, you need to grow, right? But there is a way that we can grow. It says in the, the verse we just read, 2 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You see that? So when we get to 2 Peter Chapter 3, he says, but grow in grace. Well, how are you going to do that? Your private, personal, individual attention and reading and meditation of God's written word. That's how. If you neglect that, and if I neglect that, our growth will be affected. We will not mature as Christians as we should. Look at, uh, if you would, look at Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse number 4. We're looking at how the Word of God and our private attention to it, reading it, meditating upon it, how it affects us, its impact upon us. Look at this. Verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know what that means? All right, first of all, I need to make a point, and this is an important point we all need to get because there are things that float around that are not true that we need to make sure that we understand. Those things that are written aforetime is referring to the Old Testament. In fact, all of the, practically all of the Scripture at this point in history was the Old Testament. <laughs> the Old Testament is not to be discarded by the New Testament Christian. It is God's Word. Now, it might not all app apply to us directly like it applied to the children of Israel because we don't live under the law. But it has value to us because it is God's Word. It cannot be neglected. It's what it says. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That means if you give attention to God's Word privately and individually and it becomes a part of you, you will have hope and comfort and patience in difficulty. That's what that verse says right there. Because you know what it says. You've read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the Psalms, 
Isaiah. You've read, you are familiar. It has come a, become a part of you. That will affect how you respond in affliction. And we're going to see that more a lot, a lot more later. Look at Acts chapter 17. We're run out of time, so if you would look quickly, we'll wind this up in just a second. Acts 17, verse number 11. Verse 10 for the context says this, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas, Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind. You see that? And searched the scriptures daily. They were reading the Bible, right? Whether these things were so. Verse 12 is the kicker. Therefore, many of them believed. Why did they believe? Because they were reading the Bible, right? The Scripture affected their faith. And that's what the Word of God and your attention to it will do to you. Right? Lastly, look at Mark 12. Give you a negative example here to conclude. Mark chapter 12. This is in the question of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were, they did not believe in the resurrection. So they were, say it with me. Very good. You guys are awesome. They were sad, you see. (laughs) I know it's been over years, but it's fun anyway. All right, in this conversation the Lord Jesus has with the Sadducees in verse number 24, He says this, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because, what? Ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. He's saying, do you know why you're off on this doctrine? Why you're in error? Because you are ignorant of the Bible. You know why? Because you wanted to get your enti- the entirety of your understanding of God's Word from that pulpit. And I want to tell you something. As a person who has preached every Sunday in Cambodia to people, and I know Pastor Seward would not in agreement, if you expect to get all that you need from God's Word from preaching on Sunday, you are going to be sorely mistaken. You need it every day. Their ignorance, the Sadducees were ignorant of God's Word because they did not have a personal, private connection with it. There's other reasons I know. But Jesus said, ye err not knowing the Scripture. See, if they had known the Scripture and had that connection with it, that would have kept them from error because they were intimately familiar with it, not just from there, but from their own personal reading of it in which they gave attention to God's Word. This is the impact of God's Word upon us. This is what all all that Psalm 119 is about. The psalmist is describing how God's Word has, has impacted him individually because of his private, personal meditation and reading of the Scripture. And that's what I want to encourage you to to do and help you to understand and help, honestly, help myself to understand that if I give my heart and myself to reading that Bible with attention, 
with meditation, it will affect me and not in small ways. And I hope that you also will know that effect as well in your life. Let's pray.